I titled this message, uh, Desiring the Best Gift, and it's part one because 1 Corinthians 14 is long enough to begin with, <clears throat> but just this piece, which is the deal, dealing with the gift of prophecy and tongues, respectively, at the same time, there is so much, just to throw that out there is, is kind of, um, you'll see why when we get, we're probably only going to get to like verse 10. Um, I had, I had prepared for up to 19, but no chance we'll get there today, um, to really deal with it well, but desiring the best gift, we live in kind of a gift giving society. I mean, most people are very, um, well aware that when you, when you buy something for somebody, you can, uh, especially this time of year, you can get a cool gift receipt. And so the person can return it, but it's not the cash that you put on there is not necessarily something they can see. And we love to get gifts. I have met a couple of people where they're like, oh, I hate, I hate gifts. I think it's more they hate surprises and they hate being put on the spot. But the average person, if you, if you genuinely like, hey, I, I thought of you, I was out and I know you're kind of a, you're kind of a cat's person. So I saw this hang in their poster from Hallmark. I was watching movies and I, they said, Hey, if you order, you know, this, you can get a free hang in their poster. And so I thought of you and I gave you this hang in their poster. Hopefully none of you still have the hang in their poster from the nineties Hallmark series of cat posters, but it's, it's the thought that counts, right? The idea that somebody was thinking of you when, when I was a kid, I used to get a lot of uh, cards from, I had a lot of older relatives still living and you got all these cards and it was awesome. But we always got this one from like the, the, great aunt that lived a couple states away and we knew there would never be any money in it and like little rotten kids were like nope nothing slipped out so i mean you don't want to be that person but let's be honest kids are kids but i loved i loved the idea that they would think of my birthday would think of my siblings birthdays <clears throat> and they never missed in in all of the years that they were living they never missed so we do love gifts now occasionally you'll get invited to a white elephant gift giving thing or something like that. I was at one of those things um, and someone, you know, somebody gives an old sweater that's been sitting in their, their uh, closet for like 15 years and they wrap it up in a garbage bag or something. And that's supposed to be the sentiment of the white elephant gift. Well, nobody really wants the white elephant gift, but <clears throat> I got this Bible uh, 21 years ago at a white elephant gift at my old church that I was on staff with. And this lady gave it to me. And I was like, man, this is like a way too nice of a gift for we were supposed to only spend like $20 and there's no way this Bible was less than that. But I thought about it every year, but I didn't touch it for years until I became Calvary Chapel guy because it's New King James and they were only an NIV church. And so it was, it was, um, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I, 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 I do want to read it, um, but I've been teaching out of it for like 15 years now. So I love the gifts. I love getting gifts there. It's a wonderful thing, but Paul's talking to this church about the spiritual giftings. He's talking about something that the Holy Spirit gives you when you became a Christian. If that has happened in your life, you have been given something, every one of you, every Christian everywhere that has ever lived, something to use for the glory of God that will bless the church, period. It is a fact. Now, a lot of people don't talk about this. A lot of churches don't teach tons about this. Though you may, I mean, you can't preach through the Paul letters and not talk about spiritual gifts because it's, they're in so many uh, passages, but just kind of like glossing over it, like, oh yeah, the gifts are great. You know, it's wonderful to have a teacher, preacher, or whatever evangelist. 
but there's so much more. You guys have been here uh, for a lot of the First Corinthian studies. There have been many. We have talked about a lot of the gifts. By no means does Paul try to list everyone that's ever been. There are probably giftings that we, he did not know about. We don't necessarily know. The Spirit of God is as vast as the universe and can give a gift that is rarely seen and may not have been present in this church. This church was very messed up, as we talked about. So he's talking about desiring the best gift. And I want to read the last verse from two weeks ago's study, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He says, And now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, not the other way around, but especially that you may prophesy. There was a lot of, we'll get into it in a second, but there was a lot of people that tongues was the thing. Tongues was like the gift. I don't know. There's lots to say today about the gift of tongues. Lots to, uh, I have a couple of stories that that maybe you've heard one of them, but I know you haven't heard another one. Um, That'll be fun. But he says, pursue love. Like, like if you're pursuing something, like you think about a, 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 like a police uh, chase, they're pursuing a suspect. They bring in everybody. They bring in air. They bring in contain. They bring in the spike chains. They bring in four or five guys to try and pin somebody in. They are, it's all out pursuit. Um, if you ever watched Dukes of Hazard in the late seventies, hot pursuit flash from Roscoe P. Coltrane. Pursuit, the best show ever. I love it. Still want that 69 Dodge Charger. Um, amen. Um, desire those gifts, John. Not that gift, but better gifts. Um, so it's interesting, though, how he phrases these. To pursue love, but desire. Like, want that God would give you a gift. Want that the Holy Spirit would give you the best gifts. Whatever those are. There's, you've heard of people that have uh, preached about certain uh, people that, uh, heroes of the faith, those were five talent men, five talent women. Sometimes people are just one or two talent people, but they don't even use the one or the two. And it's very, very sad to go through the Christian life and just be so stagnant and just be kind of like existing and never use it and never pursue anything in this realm. Not to even pursue the, the, the love that he's talking about, this agape sacrificial love for the church, to love God's church and to be there for God's church, even when they don't give you anything back. There's a lot of people that I've talked to over the years that have left the church because they didn't feel, they felt like they were giving too much and not getting anything back. And it's, I understand that as, as a human being, I understand the feeling, but we have to put in no matter what, we have to put in sacrificial love. We have to do what Christ did. There's no, there's no excuse for, well, the church, they kind of, they largely blew me off, Jesus. What will the Lord say to you or me if we just said, hey, I never got anything out of the church, so I never gave anything back. I don't want him to talk about the one talent guy that buried the talent in the sand to me and be like, you didn't even invest it like minimally. You invested nothing that I gave you. But he's telling this church to pursue sacrificial love toward one another, but as it pertains to spiritual giftings, that all of us should desire the best gifts from God. It also keeps us interested in our faith. There are times when we get distracted from our faith, times when we drift from our faith, and being interested in and being desirous 
or to desire the best gifts from God keeps us asking God for stuff and not just asking God for, hey, I would love a second home. I would love for this lottery ticket to be the right one. We're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about God. I want you to develop me. I want you to give me the gifts of whatever. And if I'm not using the one gift that he has given me, likely I'm not going to be getting another one. Likely I'm not going to be, oh yeah, don't worry about the fact that I told you to go do this and this and this. Um, Here's another gift that is much easier for you in your mind. No, we have to do the hard thing. But can you imagine someone who pursues gift receiving? I have met people like this before. Everything in their life is about trying to get more from others, to get whatever they can get for free or to get people to give them stuff. Without love, this is a very difficult person to tolerate. Um, Years ago, I I was watching something on YouTube about this girl or she was like a mom and she's like, I clip coupons 30 hours a week and I don't pay anything for groceries. And she had this like list and she went into this grocery store and she got like, I don't know, $400 worth of food for nothing for like $7 or something. And I'm like, but how long did it take you to get $400 worth of food? 30 something hours plus the gas in the car and whatnot. So I'm like, so your time's worth 10 bucks an hour is what you're telling me. $10 an hour is not even minimum wage in this town. So if you're looking just like, no matter what, I have to get things, I have to get gifts, I have to get things for free, and you're blowing off the, all, all the other things, God will bless you if you are diligent and using your spiritual gift. It, there, it, that is a promise. You will be blessed because the, Jesus said specifically, it's better to give than to receive. When you go and however long you spend to do it, but whatever the the best gift you've ever given somebody, where you pursued and pursued. And I think about the ring that I gave my wife, that it took a lot of time to make the money to buy that gift and to go get it and to be able that one day to give it was like, it never even enters your mind how much money it costs you. In that moment, you're just like, this is, this means everything to me. You mean everything to me. Here you go. It's, it was way, it was way better for me. Like, and I was the one that spent the money. It was way better for me to give it than to, um, have somebody give me something like that. He says in verse two, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God or no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. I have my whole life. I have misunderstood what the quote, gift of tongues is. I have, I have until very recently, the idea that tongues is from a Christian to God only, that that, the person who speaks in, this is Paul talking, apostolic, authoritative, spiritual writing, like Holy Spirit inspired writing. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. So why is it that you watch Christian television and there's five people up on stage throwing crazy tongues at the people? Nobody is interpreting it. It's just a bunch of monotony. It's crazy. Um, I've told you guys a story before. There was a movie in the late 80s called A Man Called Norman. I don't know if anybody remembers it, but Christian movies and clean movies in the 80s were a very rare thing. It was rare to see a movie that was actually clean. And so it was a Christian movie. I don't know how we found out about it. I think it was Focus on the Family or something. It was on the radio and they're like, hey, we're going to release this movie and it's going to be, we're going to release it to churches as an evangelistic tool. 
And so um, we're going to, you know, in, in this city, Chicagoland, it'll be at these 10 churches. We're just going to send them the videotape and then they're going to send it back to us and we'll ultimately sell the copies after we do this. But we, there's, there was some buildup to the movie. It was basically about a guy who uh, God told him to take this kind of homeless guy in from the town that everybody, oh, this man called Norman. Everybody's kind of afraid of him. The kids all thought he was like this old crazy hunchback. <clears throat> and it was, it was a great movie. And the pastor, Mike, is like, he's just some assistant pastor at some church. And he's like, God's, God told him to take this guy on vacation. And so they have this footage. They're like Panasonic video camera, like the size of Houston, of this old man on like a bumper car in like St. Louis or something. And the guy's terrified. It was a funny movie. It was awesome. Everything about it was amazing. But uh, before we could get to the movie, this Pentecostal church that met at a Holiday Inn just went nuts with the tongues. Everybody's, I mean, it sounds like, I can't even remember the description. I just remember being scared. And I was probably eight to 10 years of age. I was like, what is this? And my dad's like, this is the gift of tongues and it is not proper. It is not supposed to be used like this. They were just all going nuts and holy hugs and holy kisses. It was a nutty church. And I will tell you that based on what Paul's saying, that should not have been practiced that way, period. I mean, there's nothing more to say than somebody who's speaking in a tongue is speaking to God, not to men. They're not speaking to people. Now, interpretation is another matter, but just throwing them all out there at the same exact time sounded like a bunch of sirens singing in a scary horror film. So he says, no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. So it's mysterious. Now, the person who is, is speaking this tongue to God in their private prayer life or their private life, they're on a walk with God and they're just exercising tongues. Awesome. Great. You don't know what that language is, but you know that it's not from you. It's from the spirit of God. That is an amazing gift. That is not only an amazing gift. That is an assurance that something is different in you since you gave your life to Christ. I'd say that's one of the better gifts that you could desire, but not everybody has it. Paul even says, I wish everybody could speak in tongues. Verse three, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. How many people thought that was the exact definition of prophecy? I have heard other pastors say that's not. I mean, it's crazy that you can read first Corinthians. There's also preachers. I was listening to one pastor talk and he goes, I heard a guy say this entire, a, a Christian preacher say this entire chapter is just sarcasm. That was his explanation to telling the people that that's not what Paul really meant. Seems pretty straightforward to me. Seems like he's not trying to like pull punches here. It's not hyperbole. It's not like, hey, move mountains today with your faith. It's not like that. It's, hey, here's what this is. Pursue love, you guys. Pursue sacrificial love. Desire spiritual gifts, you Christian, you church, you Christ followers. Person who speaks prophecies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. That's what a, a person who has this gift, they're going to edify and exhort and comfort the church. People. Maybe, the, maybe the, 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 the prophetic word for a group of people. Maybe in a Bible study. Maybe in a home church. Maybe in a big church. But that's the gift of prophecy and that's the gift of tongues. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Okay. So that's one's kind of maybe one directional and one's for the, for everybody. It's for the assembly. This is a 
is a big deal. There's a lot of people who don't quite, through through the years, through sort of not really being in God's Word, through hearing weird sermons on on uh, YouTube or on some church website or whatever, they hear that that gift is this, and they always think it's this, and it's not. That tongues isn't. I was at a a conference, and I've heard a lot of Calvary guys say this, but this was a Calvary conference in a different state. I won't say who, and I won't say the the church or the pastor. But in the middle of the deal, he just started speaking in tongues. The senior pastor of the church. There's like hundreds of us out in this outside deal, and randomly, he's like soliciting a interpreter, and this one guy goes, "You are my bride. Why can't you? Why can't you?" imagine this, or why can't you believe me? Hmm. Seems to me that the person prophesying prophesying is speaking and edifying and exhorting comfort to men. He goes, he goes on to, to finish these thoughts. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. It's supposed to edify. It's not supposed to rebuke. It's supposed to edify. It's not supposed to tell you where you're missing the mark. That's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit to us. That's if if you're reading through a uh, a text and something in the Word kind of hits your conscience, you're like, man, I need to do better with that. It's conviction. It happens all the time. It happens in all of our studies. I'm, I'm reading uh, Isaiah right now, and uh, and it's it's like. This is hard to even take some of these chapters. It's hard to realize that God punished his own people for doing some of the very same things that I do in my own heart. That's difficult. And you shouldn't just go, eh, that was for a different time, different dispensation. We should, we should take all of it to heart. We should take any part where we're like, oh, man, I'm kind of I'm struggling here. But this, I, the, the prophecy is going to edify and build up the church. And I'm not saying that, that, that what he was saying was like, a bad thing or that this guy, that's what the guy felt God was saying. And so he said it. It's like, there needs to be a set interpreter. There needs to be somebody who goes, I have the gift of interpretation. And this person has the gift of tongues. And if God is like, Hey, speak this language, like in acts, I think it was acts chapter three, where the tongues are going out and, and God is allowing those specific tongues to be languages that people that are coming from other places in the world are like, I'm hearing Somebody praise God in my tongue, but there's no way those those prophet or those apostles speak that language. Well, they didn't, and they probably didn't again for a long period of time. It's not in the scriptures, but that that glorified God and it, it changed their hearts. That's what it should do. Prophecy should build this gift of prophecy should build up the church. It should edify, exhort, exhort the church to action, you know, like a, like a coach, like that's given a pep talk to his game. Hey guys, let's, let's do better. Let's, let's come out, you know, with more energy. So it's very clear what Paul's trying to straighten out here that I think you guys in this church and the Corinthian church were a little like that church that I saw in the holiday Inn. kind of, it's just kind of going crazy all over the place and there's no interpretation. So it's not helping. And that, that prophecy a person who prophesies is not the same as a pastor, is not the same as a teacher, is not the same as an evangelist, that that's a specific gift. He says in verse six, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, 
What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? I love this, how he explains this. How did Paul begin with these guys? How did he start? He started this church. Paul clearly had the gift of tongues, but when he first showed up, which spiritual gifts did he use to build the church? Did he just randomly show up and go, hey, you guys come back tonight at five o'clock and I'm going to tell you something. And then he just sings in these weird tongues. No, he started preaching the gospel to them. He used knowledge, prophecy, teaching. He used all of those gifts. But he says, I have the gift of tongues, but what shall I, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it, how will it be known what is being piped or played? Uh, a couple of years back before COVID, Shannon and I went to uh, San Diego for uh, Veterans Day. And it was Veterans Day weekend, and it's a Navy town. And so we're walking down by Seaport Village, and there's this guy playing the piccolo. I have a video. I've shown it to my kids a hundred times. It's it's hilarious. He's playing very patriotic Navy-type music, if you can imagine that. Um, and it was amazing. Um, but just how he was and how he kind of was tapping his foot was a little funny. Um, there was another guy that would, like had all that like gray paint on his face, and he looked like a robot, and he was like moving like a robot. And he had like, he had his like 1942 type military. I mean, it was super cool. Uh, Veterans Day kind of celebration. But if that guy just would have been like, walked up to me and be like, hey, you play what I just played. If I played anything at all, people would have run away. They would have walked away because I would just be playing like stupid notes. Like I'd just be blowing through the, the flute or the piccolo and not making any um, noise that you would want to hear. Like a kid banging on a piano and then the kid stops and the best pianist in the whole world walks up and you're like, ooh, listen to this. There's a huge difference between the two. One is nonsense and one is no good. And the other one is like, wow. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Dino, the old Christian pianist. Dino was world-class, like one of these, one of these guys who plays, you know, for two hours in front of you. When that guy played, the way he'd hammer the keys, you're like, that is such an unbelievable gift. There's a lot of great people that play piano in our in our country. And there's a lot of really good ones. But when you hear somebody who's like world-class great, it's like, it's on a, especially piano, like on a Steinway that's like 10 feet long, like amazing, like $150,000 instrument. There's something about that. He says, even things without life, like the flute, the harp, they're not alive. When they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in, no, in notes, you change notes, music, you compose them together to make them beautiful. How will anybody know what's going on? If you throw tongues out there, if you throw just a disorder into a group of people who are like, hey, we just came to see this movie, like me and my family, very conservative Baptists, my little family growing up, that was not cool. Um, according to my dad, like we were like, my dad was, I think he was thinking about getting out of there before the, even the movie started. It was just so out of order. It's like, the only thing in my head was this church is weird. I don't want to come back. That was the only thing I thought in my head. And I'm, I'm eight, nine, 10 years of age. He says in verse eight, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? You ever heard the bugle or reveille or, or the, the, whatever they play the, the cornet. 
it's very distinct. We used to go to like a military Awana camp and that was how they would wake us up with Reveille. And man, you woke up because they blasted it into the cabins and it kind of scared you, but you didn't, there was different trumpet songs for the different things of the day. And you didn't, when they would play at the end of the day, when the flag went down, that was very obvious in the morning went to wake up. It was very obvious. But if the, if it makes an uncertain sound, if some guy's just spitting in that thing and the, the soldiers are sleeping, they're not going to know because it needs to be orderly. It needs to be prepared properly. So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. David Guzik was saying, um, he says, look, a lot of people have private prayer lives. They do different stuff. He goes, me, at the end of the day, I go for a walk and I pray. And sometimes I, I put my hands up like this and I, you know, God, you're so huge. And it makes sense in my head. But if I just walked into a room and nobody knew who I was and, and they said, Hey, go up there and teach. And I, all I did is walk around the room and just, just pray. And I didn't pay attention. I didn't look anybody in the eye. And I just was praying the way I pray. People would be like, it's the weirdest guy on planet earth appropriate for private life as his tongues, not appropriate for, Hey, who is this guy? What's going on? What are, what are these words coming out of his mouth? I mean, you can spook people. You can scare people that might say yes to the gospel by not just giving them the gospel as God would have you give. Once again, he's trying to set this church in order. This church has been not only out of order. That's one of the reasons he um, was written to write back to them question and answer in the middle of this book. But it's the idea of what am I trying to say to you? You personal edification or edifying the whole body, which is the better gift? I'm saying the best gift is love. It's the only one that will survive even heaven. All of these gifts that you have, administration, helps, evangelism, not for heaven. Evangelism is not for heaven. I think we could all agree on that. Most Christians can. But loves is st- the sacrificial love is still going to be there. But all the rest of the gifts will run their course. Tongues will run its course. But the truth of God, the love that Christ had for us, that is number one pursuit. That's the number one thing you guys have to pursue as a church. Lastly, there are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Language is so vast. I was reading last night, Nigeria, the country. I was shocked. Nigeria, there were some Christian martyrs. That was a news feed. Um, and some, some Christians were killed. And I ha- I've read a little bit on Nigeria, not tons in my life, but I was shocked to find out that this not a huge country has 260 million people, which is crazy because there's a lot of African countries that have like 10 million people or thereabouts. They speak 525 languages in that country. The number one language is English. Half of the country is Muslim and half of the country is Christian, North and South. They literally like divide North and South. It was shocking to read all of those facts. It was shocking to find out how many, it's the sixth largest country in the world, people-wise, that a hundred Christians were killed this last weekend in a, some sort of a retaliation for Christmas, I'm sure. I think that's what the, the article said. You can never trust journalism, but that's what they said. 525 languages. How many languages do you and I speak? At best, there's probably somebody in here that speaks three. At best. 
probably a lot of people understand one in a little bit of a second. 525 languages. And he's saying, look, there's all kinds of languages in the world. There's literally, I think, Biblica, the translator, said there's still 2,000 that are not in anyone's language. There's still 2,000 translations that are out there, and we have over over 2,000. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty significant. But there's all kinds in the world, and none of them is without significance. People need to hear the gospel where it hits them. People need to hear, hey, I just showed up to some event. I just showed up to some concert. I just showed up to a church service. Whatever it is, give them the gospel. Don't give them weird. Give them the gospel. Give them love. Give them God's sacrificial love. The church has to be way out in front on this one. Um, I would say that the, the thing that hit me more than anything else with with this specific chapter, and there's and that's only part one, is the idea that there are tons of Christians on this planet that don't have any idea what their spiritual gift is. They're not using it. It doesn't occur to them that there is, picture the body of Christ like a, like, like a racehorse, that you've got this beautiful racehorse, but one little thing wrong with one of the legs, and that thing cannot race. It may live, it could maybe walk, I've seen a lot of three-legged dogs in this neighborhood, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna, it's not gonna win. It's not gonna thrive. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be a, a well-oiled machine, a V8 engine, a high-performance machine. And the church has many, many, many parts. The church has many, many, many gifts. The body of Christ, and there are so many. Just they're doing nothing. The the least a person can do is is this first verse is to pray and say, God, I've been out of the game. I've been on the beach. I've been, I've been not doing much. God, give me sacrificial love for my neighbor. Give me sacrificial love for the public. That's hard to do these days. Give me sacrificial love for people in Costco. That's more directed at me, but the running gag that never ends. Um, give me, give me a dose of agape love like you had so that I can make a difference in my world. Maybe your world's only going to be five, 10 people ever, but that's who you're going to be close enough to affect with your life and your behavior. But that is huge. And desire spiritual gifts. If you know what your gift is, use your gift. Get busy using your gift if you know what it is and you're not using it. A couple things in closing. The amount of time that Paul devotes to spiritual gifts should underscore the importance that they have the importance they have within the body of Christ. All people who have come to Christ and have been saved have been given at least one gift. Scripture is crystal clear about this. It's a gift that needs to be used. The gifts in the church age, which were to help build up the church, are the same. It's the same giftings. It's the same Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit wants to enable you and me to use our gifts to build up the church. We need everybody. It, it, it can't just be like, well, most people are serving. It can't be that. It, the church needs all participants, everybody in the assembly working toward one goal, and that's to win people, to bring people with them into heaven. Without this, the church will struggle. That's the first thing. The second thing is I want to encourage all 
of us. Anybody who hears this message, anybody who's here today, to use the gifts that we have to serve the church, to serve one another individually, and to love one another. The gifts are amazing, there's no doubt, but they're diverse. There's also no level of importance on them. Somebody who's just have the gift of helps, no less important than Greg Laurie, the most famous evangelist in the land. And Greg would say that. Jesus said that the world would know his disciples by the way that they love one another. There was a lot of problems with that specifically in this church. That tends to be a human problem going forward from this church on. That people ruffle one another's feathers, people ruffle other Christian brothers and sisters' feathers, and then people scatter. And then they're never, they're, they're, they're not connected, they're just, they're off doing their own thing, they're all flailing over here, they're drifting over here. But to, to have the, to have a, enough love and to have enough spiritual maturity to go, I know I'm going to get hurt at some point if I, if I really seek to work hard using my gift to love God's church. No matter where you go to church, this one or another one, at some point somebody's going to cross you or somebody's going to say something to you and you're like, that seemed really rude. For sure it's going to happen. You can just count the days. It's going to happen for sure. But once again, Jesus said, the way that the world is going to know his disciples, not the way the world's going to know religious folk, not the way that they're going to know Christian televangelists, the way they will know my disciples is by how they love one another. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the assignment. It is great. It is, uh, God, it's daunting, and it's a difficult task a lot of days. Um, God, uh, to add to it the busyness of our culture, the things we take on, the loads we carry, the yokes we put on our own necks. God, I pray that we would take um, these scriptures, though, Though it does talk about just two gifts, and a lot of people don't feel like they probably have either one, but God, the the underscoring of all of it is that we have to be serving. We have to be connected, but we have to love one another the way you loved us. God, your example was perfect, though we cannot be perfect. We strive for it. With your help and your spirit's fuel, in Jesus' name, amen.